You are Locked On Blue Jays, your daily podcast on the Toronto Blue Jays, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Blue Jays fans, and welcome to Locked On Blue Jays, your daily dose of Toronto Blue Jays talk directly into your headspace, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host. AJ Andrews of jaysfromthecouch.com. I come to you redder than those hats that the Blue Jays wear on Canada Day because yesterday, instead of watching that final game before the All-Star break, I was out kayaking with my partner. And just just a tip for people who are doing that, um... Make sure you have a full tube of sunscreen and reapply it pretty frequently because I had neither of those things and now I'm as red as a Maine lobster, which I I know it wasn't very visible in the photo that I sent out earlier, mostly because I put on that hoodie specifically to cover up my arms, which are scorching hot right now like I could probably still roast a chicken on them if I really wanted to all right maybe not a whole chicken maybe like a chicken burger or something still um so yeah that um that was my weekend so catching up with what the Blue Jays did we are going to talk about the starting pitching in the second half because I I think I have more to say um, when it comes to how the starters performed in those last two games against Baltimore. But I did want to touch on the offense first because the offense did get a lot of attention in the first two games. Obviously, when you only score one run per game, it, it doesn't look great. So what really happened there? Um, it's an interesting question, one that probably should have been directed at Guillermo Martinez. But um, what you saw a lot of in those first two games against the Orioles is just not a lot of solid contact being generated by that team. And I actually, I'm quite all right with, you know, not getting hits against Andrew Kashner on Saturday because Andrew Kashner has been subtly dealing for a while. It's why I was worried about um, what the Blue Jays were actually going to do in that Saturday game because he has been electric. He has nine wins on Baltimore. He has nine wins. That is like, like it's, it's like seeing a baby hit like a, a, a regulation NBA shot. Like it shouldn't be possible, but it is since the start of June, five starts, at least six innings in each has only given up more than one earned run in one of those starts. And yeah, he's lowered his ERA from 504 to 383. That's how on fire 
Andrew Kashner has been. So I'm not surprised that the Blue Jays struggled mightily with him on Saturday. The bullpen, honestly, probably should have done something against Jimmy Yacobonis and Sean Armstrong and Richard Blyer and the the parade of relievers that wouldn't be on any other major league team. But Baltimore, Paul Fry, Paul Fry might be on another major league team. No one else. But, um, yeah, what what happened when Dylan Bundy faced them was pretty pathetic. Only four hits. Brandon Drury got to him in the seventh inning with that home run. That was it. Brandon Drury had the best day of anyone on the Blue Jays on Friday. And it it's, it's not hard to see why. Um, the Blue Jays really struggled in those first few games. They fell back into really bad habits, which is, again, swinging at early pitches, not working a pitcher to get their count. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in three at-bats saw eight pitches. Five of them were strikes. The the bottom third of that lineup against um, Andrew Kashner, Brandon Drury, Teoscar Hernandez, Luke Maley, all saw 10 pitches and all of them were like the majority of them that were coming in were strikes. Only two players had a ratio that was below 66% strike to pitch. That was Lourdes Gurriel, who of course is not going to see anything in the strike zone because he is insane right now when it when it comes to the plate. And then Kevin Biggio, who who will do whatever he can to get a walk. And also had one of three hits in that Saturday game. So the Blue Jays were were not making contact on the strikes that they did get and then turning a lot of other pitches into strikes. And again, that's something that we've repeatedly needed to see differently from this team. And you wonder if they just took the opponent lightly because they know it's Baltimore and they know Baltimore is bad, but they did not give enough respect to those two starting pitchers. And then like most guys can come in and get an inning really like again, Richard Blyer managed to do it. He only threw half his pitches for strikes. Um, Like I said, Jimmy Yacobonis, 10 of 13 pitches for strikes. Sean Armstrong, they managed to get a walk out of him um, via Lourdes Gurriel. But just, again, the Blue Jays did a lot to help the opposing pitcher in those games from an offensive standpoint. Now, it changed when they got a bad pitcher on the mound. And I'm sorry to say that about former Blue Jays prospect Asher Wojciechowski. I'm not saying that right. Let me try that again. Um, Asher Wojciechowski. There we go. Should have known that from Adrian, but whatever. Anyway, Asher pitched like Asher. He pitched like a guy with a career 662 ERA. A guy who's bounced around to multiple organizations, and none of them have been really good. Um. <laughs> Asher had that year in 2017 with Cincinnati, but then his previous experiences are with the Astros, 
right before they got good. And the Orioles. So, I mean, not, not great. But the Blue Jays did what they needed to do against him. And that was just start knocking him around the park. And they did that from the word go. He went after Lourdes Gurriel and Lourdes Gurriel said, thank you very much. And and took him for that two-run shot in the first inning. And I again, that that first inning where you see guys like Freddie Galvis working Asher for a walk. Eric Sogard taking six pitches out of him. Kevin Biggio worked him for a nine-pitch at bat. It, it becomes very clear that the more the Blue Jays show this kind of patience, the more success they're going to have. It's just a matter of drilling that patience into them. So that, um, we're going to talk about, you know, the second half and what we want to see later in the week because there are no games this week um, and no Blue Jays in the All-Star game. Thank you very much, Alex Cora. But yeah, um, that that is something that, you know, seems to be key to the Blue Jays' success. And if they can get that, if they can stop giving pitchers free pitches, if they can work on that eye a little bit, then then that will bode well for their offensive success in the future, their continued offensive success. So we're going to talk about the pitching in a sec, but um, just a reminder for all the listeners, um, if your company wants to reach an upscale, I guess, dominantly male audience, I'm pretty sure that's not this audience. Um, at least for my interactions, I, I think I'm closer to 50-50. But um, yeah, then your company's ad should be running right here on this podcast. So to get your company connected with this audience, um, email me, I guess, at neoac18 at gmail.com or email locked at lockedonpodcast.com to get more details about increasing your business's reach. You are Locked On Blue Jays, your daily Toronto Blue Jays podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we're back. So about the pitching, it was definitely a tale of two pitchers um, between that Saturday game, which was a slog to go through. And then the Sunday game, which, of course, I didn't watch. But um, let, let's talk about the Saturday game first. Let's start with the bad. Clayton Richard was good for the first three innings. That first turn through the lineup, he looked brilliant. He looked like he had everything worked out. Um, like there was, there was nothing that... He, he didn't have, he even managed to pick off Anthony Santander with that best, one of the best pickoff moves in the game. Really hope he teaches Ryan Barucki how to do that. But once that first turn in the lineup came, came through and they got the second, that fourth inning was bad. And yes, it was compounded a little bit by errors by Justin Smoke and by... um. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., 
but once that once that got on there like there was there was nothing that he could do to stop the bleeding Clayton Richard is not a shut down pitcher he he needs to work with a clean slate and putting putting three runners on there was never going to work out well I mean it was error home run double error single double then later an RBI ground out but it, it just highlights with Clayton how I don't think if this Blue Jays team is at full strength then I don't think Clayton Richard is in the rotation and that's even taking Aaron Sanchez out of the rotation with him um I was having a conversation with Evan Shear online and we we were discussing just what a Blue Jays rotation would look like and I believe I mentioned this yesterday but I'm gonna come back to it because it's still relevant so the fact that the Blue Jays were able or like I was able to essentially craft a rotation without Sanchez and with like an extra person in there. Um it it it's actually again kind of hopeful that that we can do that. Like I again if you move Richard to the bullpen with guys like Nick Kingham who can do like two and a third innings, then you're going to be relatively all right to cover up the innings. I mean, you have Gavilio back there too. So if you went with a post all-star break rotation of Stroman, Thornton, Wagspack, Pannon, Sean Reed Foley, like that's, that's even waiting for Barucky to come back. That's, um, you know, Stroman's going to be traded. So it's a quick swap, but just it, it doesn't look like Richard has the durability anymore to consistently give the six innings. He can still do it. He can still do it if he's fooling a team, but it just doesn't look like he consistently has it. And I don't think he'll be a fixture in the Blue Jays rotation by the end of the year. TJ Zoic is getting strong consideration for a September call-up. So I would not be surprised if he's in there. I've seen um, a rumor with the uh, Yankees. I saw a potential package. It was Clint Frazier, um, one of their one of their prospects, Albert, Albert Abreu, I think was a prospect mentioned. And then Chance Adams, who has gotten work at Triple A, Albert Abreu is the number three um, Yankees prospect. He's a he's a pitcher in Double A Trenton, so it's a decent package. I don't know if it's if that actually would do it for me to get Stroman. I mean, like I said, Abreu's nice. I I would think Jonathan Loisaga is actually more in the window and like. You know, Abreu has looked decent at Trenton so far, so he is he's doing 
what you want to see out of a guy. He's, this defense has been pretty bad. And the walk rate has gone up. So that is something to work look for. And that, that might be why I think Abreu is being thrown in on some of these trade rumors. And then Chance Adams, who we talked about last year as potentially being a piece offered for Jay Happ, has not shown well at the major league level. Um, 686 ERA so far. And that's not going to get it done. Like, he... Like, do we need another pitcher who gets knocked around like that? I don't know. I don't know. I I think I'd be asking for more. Like I said, I, I would want Loisaga um, over a Bray just because you, you need someone to throw back in there. But that's my thought. Anyway, let's get off that because we're not talking about Stroman trades today. We're talking about another bounce back performance by Trent Thornton, which, again, I wish I could have seen that on the weekend because that sounds like it was a lovely experience. Three hits scattered over six innings. He struck out five. Clearly the best start since the road trip. And it, it justifies the Blue Jays, you know, giving him that shot against essentially a AAA team anyway. When we talked about Thornton after that Boston start, we wondered if he needed to go back to Buffalo to maybe work on some things. It looks like they figured something out um, during during the time away. And give credit to Pete Walker um, and Freddie Galvis for noticing what Thornton had to work on. He was definitely more effective on on Sunday, he was baffling the Baltimore hitters. He was throwing his pitches in there for strikes. Um, he, he was doing exactly what you want to see him do. He got 11 swinging strikes in six innings, which when he's on, he's able to get that consistently from batters. So it, it was more in line with what we've seen out of Trent Thornton, actually his best game score in in a start since May 3rd when he went seven scoreless against Texas, which is his career best. But it, it was a return to form that was desperately needed for this Blue Jays team to reestablish that Thornton was not, you know, buckling under the pressure. And they still may um, do something to limit his innings because he's at 94 and two-thirds innings so far this season. And I believe we talked about it before, but his max for innings in a season um, at any level um, is 135. So if you figure they want to push him to maybe 150, maybe 160, depending on how they feel internally about him, he's probably going to start ramping down a little bit and you're going to see more guys cycling in. It's why the Blue Jays have all those guys to be able to throw out there. It's why they have Wagsback and Reed Foley and Pannone ready to go on rotation because they they can kind of see where the innings are. They're going to be careful with Barucki too when he comes back. Barucki's not going to have the same innings problem, but they're going to want to monitor him and make sure that that elbow is fine because they don't need to lose Barucki yet. For, for any length of time. Heck, the time he was out this season has been uh, a heavy strain 
on the Blue Jays. Again, mention Edwin Jackson once, and you'll know how badly Ryan Barucki has been missed by this team. So, as they kind of gear Thornton down a little bit, that depth will be important. But what Thornton did with that start is reestablish himself as as having figured out a problem and shown that when he struggles, he's going to be able to bounce back a bit from it, which is very important for a young pitcher to be able to show, especially uh, a pitcher who wasn't, again, as well-regarded as maybe some of the other pitchers. Again, I've been talking um, with people on Twitter. Um, If Houston's in play for Stroman, then... You know, they're going to be looking at getting a guy like Forrest Whitley in, who Thornton will be familiar with. So Thornton having that outing and reestablishing himself is, is pretty big for him to make sure that he's still in that conversation. Because I, I think a lot of people already wrote him off after those two starts. He does have the stuff to be a, a very capable four-fifth starter in this league. I think people need to make sure they remember that. Anyway, that brings us to the end of today's episode. Just a reminder, if you want to get involved um, with the podcast or if you want to see selfies, because apparently that's what I do now. I <laughs> I take selfies. I'm, I'm learning. Anyway, you can follow me on Twitter at NeoEC18. That's NeoEC18. You can follow the podcast at LockedOnJays on Twitter. Instagram and Facebook, and you can subscribe to the podcast on Himalaya, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, however you get podcasts, you can get Locked on Jays. It'll be on there. So subscribe and spread the word and, you know, help a girl out. Um, but yeah, that brings us again to the end of today's show. Hopefully tomorrow I am not as on fire as I am today. And hopefully we're talking about Vlad Guerrero Jr. putting a firm Blue Jays stamp on these all-star festivities. So we'll see what happens then. Until then, for everyone at the Locked On Podcast Network and for everyone at jaysfromthecouch.com, I'm AJ Andrews. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode. And y'all take care.